How many know he's good today? Come on, if you're glad he's good, let him know. Let him know. Come on. The presence of the Lord is in this place. We're so glad to be here. Just because it's not sunny outside doesn't mean there's no light shining in the house of God. You know what I'm saying? The light shines whether the world sees darkness. The light will always, always shine. His light will never dim, fade away, or end. He's for all eternity. Thank you, Lord. Hey, if it's your first time here, welcome to One Seed Church. We're a new church, as Sean said. Y'all may be seated. Sometimes I forget to tell people, and they just look at me for like 30 minutes. Like, it's cool, guys. If you want to sit, go for it. You don't have to stand. It's not like a rule. But we like to stand and worship because we like to let it out. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of an, I'm a, I'm a hyper person somewhat. So, like, you'll see that you'll never see me, like, sitting still. I'm, like, I'm, I'm a fidget, fidgety person. So that's why when I'm worshiping, I'm just, like, you know, I'm just doing whatever. I just got to let it out. I know it's weird. It's, I'm not saying you should do that. This is what I got to do. But hey, the weather's a little cloudy, and it cooled off at least. And this morning in our Unify volunteer get-together, it's been a theme. I went, to a, I went to visit a church yesterday of mine, and the theme was not what today's theme is, by the way, but it was on rest. And then Nick mentioned this morning in the Unify devotional, rest, and he mentioned Jesus on the boat resting in the storm. And I think it's because, you know, the storms make you want to tap. You know, it's just, it's just the thunder. I mean, my kids, they cry. They think it means immediate sleep overnight. But I sleep good and, you know, too much lightning. Then I get a little scared. But we're grateful. We're so grateful to be here. And no matter what the weather looks like, we're grateful to be here. And as I get older, I'm 39 and three quarters. No, six tenths. I'm 39 and six tenths. As that 40 number approaches I'm thinking a little different. It's been an interesting year. You know, we had some ups and downs. We got the trailer back in order today. I don't know if you saw the new trailer out there, but that was sitting like this three weeks ago, and I was crawling out of the, the truck going, my trailer, Jesus, my guitar. They said, hey, did you lose anything special in that, in that wreck? I said, my guitar's in there. For real. I didn't even know I was emotional until he asked, and all of a sudden it came out. My guitar is a handmade French guitar. I've had it since I was 20 years old, and it can't be replaced. It can, but you know what I'm saying. It'd be a different one. But we're so, so, so it's changing my perspective, and I'm realizing that every decision I make matters more as I get older. We don't think it matters. It's just, what do they say, going through the motions? But your decision to come to church today matters. Your decision to pray matters. Your decision to think, maybe I should grow closer to the Lord, matters. And that's why you're here. And that's why it's so awesome, because we take action when we believe something is necessary. Faith takes action off our belief. But as I was saying, as I get back to how I'm getting older and my decisions are becoming more careful, I don't know. Maybe I'm becoming wimpier. I don't know. I'm more sentimental than I was. We were out last night, and I just got weepy out of nowhere. We, me and my wife went out to dinner. It's the first time that's happened without the kids since May. I know it's kind of sad, but that's, that's pretty good for us twice in a year. We went out to dinner, and, huh? 
That's good. That's normal. 11, that's pretty good. And I was just getting like random sweeps of weepiness. And I'm trying to figure out what, what is it? And I thought it's because I'm seeing all the decisions that steered me to now more carefully than ever. ever. And one of the ones that I've talked about before, some of you have maybe heard this, and if you have, I'm sorry, but I'm going to tell you again, is the day I met my wife at 24-Hour Fitness, 2005, September 24th, 24-Hour Fitness on Clayton Road in Chesterfield. Anybody know it? It's their most romantic place ever. And there she was, got her iPod. That's when they still had them. It wasn't on the phone. You had the music on the iPod, but I'm a Microsoft person, so I'm just like, I don't own those. I just don't do the music. And there she was, and week after week, she started popping up. And so later than I normally did for some odd reason, and I went home and I said, God, this, this is weird. I'm, I'm following this person to the gym. This is weird, God. This is like stalkerish. If this is your will, then send me to the gym at 6 o'clock. So I started going at 6 o'clock. And then by the third or fourth encounter where she saw me from 100 feet away and couldn't stop thinking of me, well, at least I like to think that in my mind, she says she didn't even know I was there, but I think she's just being, you know, humble. I know she knows I was there. How could she not, right? <laughs> anyway. By the fourth one, I was with my buddy. Honest to God, not that it would be different, I said, if I could just have a girl like that, that's it. I'd be happy. Never met her. Saw her across the gym. Call me sappy. So two or three times later, I finally said, all right, I got I to talk to her. I'm going to the gym. I got to at least be man enough to talk to her because I was kind of scared. I never talked to girls comfortably. I was always you know, a little nervous if I liked them. So, so she was on the, what was it, the recumbent bike? I placed myself, she don't remember, I do. She, I, went, I went and placed myself on the butterfly machine. You know, one of these, the things that are really bad on you. Have I mentioned I've had multiple shoulder surgeries since then? They're really hard on the, on the rotator cuff and all that. But that's what I placed myself on. And I was just, you know, I'm just like, I'm not really, not really focused. I'm, I'm trying to see. Hey, 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 what's up? Hey, what, did you just start coming here? I've never seen you before. You know, I didn't say come here often. I said, did you just start coming here? It's different. It's not a pickup line. And she said, well, the gym that I go to normally, the air conditioner was broken. So I have two memberships. I thought, geez, frivolous. That's what I thought, but I didn't tell her that. Anyway, long story short, I got the digits. And on the way out to my car, I dropped them on the ground on a pink piece of paper, and I got to my car, I said, where's the number? Heaven sent an angel, and I lost the number to the angel. Oh, God. I got to go back in there and tell her I lost her number already. <laughs> so I went in, and right when I went in, it was in the foyer of the gym on the floor, the pink piece of paper. I said, I said oh, snatched that up, and I ran back to my car. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not a, I'm not a you know, idiot or whatever you'd call me. Christian to say. So anyway, I called her. We had our first date. Three days later, September 27th, we went to the spaghetti factory in Chesterfield. One year later, I proposed to her. Guess where? At 24-hour fitness. How romantic. Yeah. Yeah, I was creative. I was creative. I thought this would go over really good. We were having a little tiff, and I said, I know, I'll just propose. That'll make it better. So we ran to Target, Walmart, Schnooks, schnooks. 
I said, I got to go into Schnucks for a minute, but don't look when I come out, okay? I mean, it was really poorly planned. So I came out with roses, and I ran to the back of the truck, and I threw them in the back of whatever I was driving. I said, you didn't see me, right? You didn't see what I had, right? Oh, no, no, nothing. It's just a little strange that you won't tell me. Anyway, we go to the gym. I said, you got to come out. You got to come out to the foyer. You got to, it was outside. And so then I, I did the whole knee thing, and I proposed, and she said yes. Thank you. Thank you for doing that, by the way. She said yes. Yeah, it's okay. You can clap. I know she had a lot of courage to say yes to me. And I had to call the guy at the counter out, you know, the guy working the counter, taking the name, the badges. and said, can you take our picture? I mean, I proposed. I know it's weird, but hey, how many people do you know that proposed in front of your gym? Maybe you should come take our picture. So he did. And that was it. And that was, well, 2005, 13, almost 13 years ago this September. My math is really bad. We've been married 11 We've got four beautiful kids, Chloe, Caleb, Colton, Kaylee, or some of you may know Chloe, Colton, Taz, and Tazette, the demon child some, some days of the week, but hey, it happens. But what the point of this story is, is that that decision to go to that butterfly machine changed my life forever, when some people just thought it was a workout. God said it was a plan. Remember, it was three, four times I was contemplating going to the gym. Never talked to her. God said, go to the gym. Not to work out, though, which was weird to me. It was a decision. That decision last night crept up into my emotional side. Just call me sappy. We had a marriage class this week. Maybe that's what, the, that's what it is, Stephanie. Maybe it's the marriage class. I don't know. But I was just thinking, man, what if I had not done that? What if I had not made that decision right then? Oh, well, she would have come running after me in the parking lot because she thought I was so hot anyway. No, really. What would I have done because it never would have happened? That was a joke, Michelle. You can laugh. It's okay. You're laughing on the inside, I know. She's quiet as a mouse. Making a decision in the heat of the moment often takes focus, as if we're not careful when we're put on the spot, we can make the wrong move and pay for it or miss an opportunity to change your life. The ability to not fall into the trap of peer pressure and be a leader when there is no one else willing to lead, hey now, and to uphold the truth is how God promotes you to a new position. When you're torn between a decision that has you at odds between the world and Jesus, what will you choose when no one else is choosing the same thing as you? It's easy when we're all in church together, but what happens when there's no one else here? What do you choose? Some people don't choose. They want other people first. God says, I'll promote you when you go first. Will you stay faithful regardless of the consequence or will you concede to the world out of fear? Will you walk by faith and not by sight? My passage today is interesting as it's in the book of Joshua chapter 2 verses 1 through 15. It's a story of a prostitute, a harlot, Rahab. You know, everybody knows Rahab. It's a little, you know, awkward. 
But she did something remarkable, and she didn't even know it. God was doing something through the situation in Rahab's life, and she didn't even know it. And it changed the course of her life from one decision. One decision. If we go to verse 1, I'll try not to get lost like last week where I paused for like 18 seconds in a blank stare, deer in the headlights at the pulpit. It's never happened. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men of, from Acacia Grove to spy. Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, they're spying out the land of Jericho where Rahab lives. Okay? To give you some context. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now don't get this twisted. They didn't go there for that. They went there to stay because they knew they could get into the city gates through a harlot, even though they didn't really want to go see, you know what I'm saying. So let's not twist that. They needed a place to hide out because they're really trying to take over Jericho. And it was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out our country. What you going to do, king? So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them, Rahab. So she said, oh, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. I didn't know where, well, I didn't know they were from Israel. I just thought they were looking for, you know, just the usual. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. And where the men went, I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them, king. But she had brought them up the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof to hide them. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate, the entrance to the city. The city was a wall, and there was a gate, and in and outside of the, the gate was the protection of the city. So they went out looking. She said, I don't know where they're at, but they're up there. Why would she hide them? The enemy. She hid the enemy, what she thought. Now, before they lay down under the flax, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Keep in mind, they don't serve our God. They serve someone else. The Lord, Jehovah, the Israelites, God. She's saying, I know that the Lord. Interesting. She's calling Lord. She's acknowledging their God as Lord in this speech. But this is the enemy. For we have heard now that the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea. They knew about the Red Sea being parted and drowning the Egyptians. For you, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the king of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sahon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She just called their God 
the God of all heaven and earth. Hmm. Sounds like a new convert. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness and hid you up here from my people, that you will also show kindness to my, my daddy, my daddy's house, my mother. Give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver us our lives from death. So the men answered her, the Israelites, the two messengers, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us this land, because we're going to take it, just so you know, that we will deal kindly with you, truly and kindly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through a window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. She dwelt on the boundary of the city, and she dropped them down by rope and let them go back to the mountains. The title of my sermon is probably not grammatically correct, but it's wall drop. It's a wall drop that took place. She dropped them down the side of the wall. That place of limitation, she let them go beyond, though she resides in that place, that city limit. She can't escape the wall. She dwells or stays, lives at the wall. You see, all of us have a decision to make, and it's on the wall. The wall is that point. Do we go this way or do we go that way? Do I decide to serve God or do I just watch Netflix? It's a decision. My heart, everybody say, my heart has a decision to make on the wall. My heart has a decision to make on the wall. And sometimes what looks like the enemy's messengers are actually angels of the Lord coming to show you your purpose. The hidden messengers. They were messengers. And God will send us messengers when we least expect us, when he least expect it. Remember, he can see us even when we forget he's there. He sees you even then. Yeah, he saw that. I know it's a little awkward, but it's true. And he will send messengers through your family, through your friends, through your situations. He will send a way that is perceived as possibly hate, enemies, uh, affliction, pain, suffering, when he's maybe opening the door to purpose. What Rahab perceived as a problem, spies, I mean, when you hear the word spies, it's not usually a good thing, was God actually delivering her away, a blessing. She perceived them as enemy territory, but they were sent by God. How many ever had a situation where you perceived someone was trying to hurt you, and then you realized, in hindsight, they were trying to help you? Anybody ever had that happen? Nobody? Come on. We got some heartbeats out there? Come on. Come on. I just, you know, I just act, I just act crazy until someone, someone says something. Come on. Okay. I'll do it. And you stare at me for 10 minutes. I, <laughs> I won't do it that long. I'd probably be feeling really dumb by then. Anyway. It reminds me of a time my dad said I was too old to do something. 
I used to want to be a ninja, right? You know what a kip up is? The ninjas, they, they boom, they get knocked on their back and they up onto their feet. It's called a kip up, okay? Come on, I know you all do kip ups. You know, it's the smartest thing. You jump up with your feet like a ninja, no hands, just straight off your back. You know, Ernie Race Jr., ninja, any, you know what a ninja is? You know, a black assassin, you know, they kill people, anybody? Okay. So, he, so we're at a family get-together, and, uh, you know, all the grandchildren are there, and here's Uncle UJ, they call me, Uncle Jeff, and I'm on, I'm saying, you know, I bet I could still do that kip-up. I used to walk on my hands. I do kip-ups. It's no thing. My dad says, you probably shouldn't do that. What do you know, Dad? Dan? I call you Dan for this illustration. He's really my, my dad. <laughs> You're going to hurt something. I'm not going to hurt nothing. Don't say I'm old just because I'm 35 or whatever it was. And I sit at a computer all day and I'll ever stretch and there's no blood circulation in my muscles or nothing. It's nice and cold. Don't say I'm going to tear something. What are you talking about, Dan? You shouldn't do that. He's, he don't know what he's talking about. He's wrong. I'll show you. Sorry. On my back, I demonstrate here, but I don't want to recreate the same thing. Ugh. Flip up to my back. Fall straight down, I land on my shoulder, felt a weird pop, I tore my labrum in the back, it was awful, it took a year to recover, I thought I was gonna die. I had three anchors put in my shoulder. The physical therapy was so bad, that day, day one I came home and started throwing up in the toilet. And I can handle pain, but man, when, when you do this for 30 minutes, your body freaks out, it's, it's called nerves. But see, had I listened to the warning that I perceived as the enemy saying I was old, not the enemy, but you know what I'm saying. I could have spared five grand and three anchors and a gimpy shoulder ever since, right? That's with insurance. What a deal. By the way, two years later, I did it to this arm too, doing something else really dumb. So both arms have a nice set of anchors, and this time it was from pull-ups or something, and you think I would have learned, but no, they don't tell me what to do because I know best. Right, Nathan? I know best. Cha-ching, cha-ching, the insurance bills sound like. But yeah, sometimes what we perceive as opposition is a blessing in disguise, trying to save you out of your ignorance. People you notice will start noticing you changing. See, when the spies came, Rahab was not very upset. You know, it, the king could sense that Rahab was not, you know, on their side. Some people will see when God starts changing your life, they'll see your behavior change and they'll start being bothered by you. Well, he quit cussing. I don't like that. Why do you do that around me? You mean why do I don't cuss around you? It's sorry, I just don't like cussing because I got enough words in my head that I'm trying to trying to fill it with smart ones like my brother, and I just don't have enough up there. So, you know, I'm trying to get rid of the, the bad words so I can make more room for the good words. And people don't like it when they see God changing. See, Rahab was being changed by God in the moment as it was happening. Before she knew it, she was confessing Jehovah as Lord of all heaven and earth. And she's the enemy. That's not going to go over good with the king of Jericho. It's a good thing king didn't hear that. But it was all about a decision she made in the process to hide them. And your heart has a decision to make, and it's on that wall. It's pivotal. It's in that gym. It was pivotal. God will shift your perspective and start changing your feelings where the enemy is starting to look 
like friends. It's like spousal. Everybody getting into arguments with their spouse, and sometimes they can look like the enemy. And then you realize, no, we love each other. See, it's like that. Come on, Michelle, you're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Your worth is different to God. Remember, Rahab was not the best profession. But he still had something greater for her. Even her. She thought, I'm just stuck on this city wall. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm just, you know, what I am. And I'm just stuck on this wall. And this is all that I can do. And God says, no, I have more for you. And you just changed the course of your future. And you didn't even know it. And we're going to get to that. God sees our worth much greater than we see our worth. We feel like we're just, you know, a slightly out of shape, accident prone 39 year old. And God says, no, I got more for you. That's me. He loves us even when we don't love us. He's watching us when we think he's not watching us. It's like he loves us so much, like my children love me, actually. Colton, that, that boy, he sucks his thumb still. He's turning six. And I'm always on about, hey, man, you better not be sucking that thumb. I'm going to take that tablet, and I'm going to throw it in the trash. If, you, if I catch you sucking that thumb, and he's sucking the thumb again. And he's got, he's got a knot on his thumb from years of teeth latching onto that thing. And so I'm always working with him, and I get to where I feel like such a bad dad because I just fuss at him so much about this thumb and nothing works. I put the, the nail polish. I've tried taking away stuff. Nothing works. He just loves that thumb more than me. And when I think he's just going to hate me at five years old, he'll say, my daddy. He'll still come up and say, my daddy, Kaylee, my daddy. He says, no, he's my daddy. He still loves me. He still loves me even when I feel worthless and definitely unworthy. That's how God still is watching our best interests, and he presents opportunities to make decisions to go towards what he wants for you, to make your life better, more fulfilling. How many, wants a better, how many want a better life? You guys want a better life. Better doesn't mean more fun always, but it means better, and better means fulfilling and sustained and roots, and sometimes it takes work, but you'll find fulfillment in the end if you walk towards Jesus. Fulfillment will come in bundles of tough choices. Fulfillment will come in three insurance claims, in, in, in passing the buck, in, in how much money will this cost to fix, in, in dropping off generators to the lawn place, and in, in, uh, replacing damaged goods, and, uh, you know, and working in the rain, and, and getting and, and, and people volunteering to, to, you know, set up for church, and sometimes no one's here. But they all want one thing. And that's what God has for them. So they, they do it rain or shine. It don't matter if people come because they're doing it for God. And that's the difference. I get up here. I love y'all. I really do. But I'd be standing here if the room was empty. I wouldn't like it. But I'm doing it because I feel like God said, do this. So I'll keep doing it. Now, I want you to be here. Just let me know. I'm really sad when you're not here. So if you're ever not here, I do cry, okay? I cry in the back. Nobody knows it. Yeah, you. All you people who think I don't notice that you're not here, I do cry. It, it hurts me. That's a guilt trip. I'm just kidding. But we love when you're here, seriously. But what I'm saying is, no matter how many times Vincent shouts or doesn't shout, and, and Nathan, I love Nathan, but he's got work and stuff, and no matter how many times, I'm still going to be here. 
because I'm trying to serve God, and I want what the best God has for me. The rest is icing on the cake, because the rest will come when I just give it to God. Let the spies to the roof. I know it sounds shady, but let them up to the roof and cover them, for God has a plan for you because of what you did for those two messengers. When God infiltrates your heart, you're going to have to decide, where do I stand? With the cool crowd or with the Jesus crowd? And sometimes, depending on who you're talking to, it's the same crowd. It just depends who your audience is. It's subjective. But your heart has to make that decision, and it's on this wall in your life, the city wall, that place of limitation. Am I going to go beyond this wall, or am I going to live check to check? Am I going to work harder, or am I going to be stuck on this wall and just be a prostitute? Because nobody says I'm worth more. We have a decision to make on the wall. Your choices matter. Rahab's choice in the heat of the moment was the determining factor of the rest of this story. Before I reveal what happened after this passage, I'm going to leave it there. But had she not chose to let those messengers down that wall and back to the mountain, things would have been completely different. If I had not chose to swallow my pride and risk looking like a fool, which I'm comfortable doing anyway, as you can see, and hop on that butterfly machine, I would have missed my family, my children, everything. Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe God would have sent someone else. But no, I think that's what God wanted. That was it. It was perfectly planned. There was no hesitation. We were like glue every day since then. Got married, had four kids, bam, here we are starting a church. Come on, who knows that's not God's will? Come on, that's God's will. No. It was that decision. My choice matters. When down to the wire, will you pick God over the world? Hey, we're all going here. WWJT. That's all right. I'm going to stay home. I want, I want more. I want more than that. I don't want to just settle for that. Does your faith support the risk you'll take to uphold his name? What do I mean? Are you willing to crash into a streetlight to uphold his name? You could have died. When you're faithful, you don't think about that. In hindsight, you think about it for a minute, but in the moment, you don't think about that because your faith is driving everything. It doesn't matter. Nothing can stop you because your faith is everything. God has your back. And as long as you want what God has for you, no one can hurt you. Even if it means losing your earthly life, no one can hurt you when you were 100% in. How many have ever made a bad decision you regretted? Anybody? Probably everybody. Me four. Me times 20. There's so many things that if I could go back, I mean, you know, insignificant stuff to maybe you guys, but like the way I used to drive in the car when I was a kid, the aggression problems I had, and the way I talked to people, I had a real smart mouth. And I, I could tell you, I could tear you apart with words when I was 15. And then when you wanted to punch my face in, I'd run home like a little girl because I didn't think I was going to make you that mad. <laughs> and I learned my lesson a few times to not be careful what you say to people. They don't receive it well. I regret those decisions, but they were decisions. 
So that's why it matters. Had I not made those decisions, maybe things would have been different. And we're all going to make decisions we regret. And nobody's perfect. But what we're trying to pray for here is to get in God's will. That's why we need to be born again and be, be in God's will. Because he's got this canopy over us. And he's sending messengers when we think we're heading down the wrong path. And we are. He sends messengers to, to guide us back. So we don't keep making those decisions that could have been avoided. There's so many things I wish I hadn't said in my life that were hurtful. That's probably the worst. It's not physical altercations. It's not car accidents. It's this. I wish so many times I could took back things I said with my mouth. And I'm sure others are like that too. Our decisions matter. My choices matter. Could you have made the correct choice in that moment had you recognized your messenger was not the enemy, but an angel? come from the Lord, to spare your shoulder, to spare your town. Yeah, your town's getting taken, Rahab, but you don't know what you're about to, about to have. You're about to have a new life, Rahab. My heart has a decision to make, and it's on that wall. Your choices are the difference between sustained joy in endless, never-ending attempts at finding it. Your choices are the difference between you finding the joy and never finding it. You just circle the mountain your whole life. Be calculated in your decisions. Hiding your, feeling under, your feelings under the stalks of flax. God knows they're there. God knows you know he's pulling on you and you're resisting him and you just want to keep pleasing the world and you're on the seat of your pants about on the seat of your chair if I should do this or that and God knows you're on the seat and he's saying come on quit waiting come on this life is temporary come on I know what you're feeling I know all and I know that you are drawn to me but you are fighting coming to me let it go get off the wall touch your neighbor tell him get off the wall come on Get off the wall. You got to get off the wall. You're stuck on the wall. Will you risk losing some to gain the favor of one? Rahab recognized God when she said, your Lord, in verse 11, I think it was. Even when delivered through the hands of the perceived enemy, she recognized God. Didn't even realize it. Because God was working on her heart through that experience. She lived on the wall. She was restricted by the boundaries of her life. We live restricted by the boundaries or walls of our life. We're willing to get to the wall, and everybody else goes out, but we stay planted on the wall. But I can see my mountain in the distance. The messengers came from the mountains, and I can see the mountain, but are you willing to go find the mountain, go climb the mountain? We've talked about mountains. That's where, the, that's where the glory is. But you gotta get off the wall. Quit sitting on the wall. Quit, quit letting people come and go. And you're just, you're just sitting on that wall. It's not gonna happen like that. The mountain's not gonna come to you. When this happens and we realize God has changed our heart, 
Now we want to spread the good news. Now we want to tell people all the great things God has done for you. Now we like to sing and, and get excited at the church, and some people won't understand that. But we want to give it away because it was so touching and changed our life. We, we now know what it feels like that we want to do the same for others. That's the, that's the love of God right there. That's, that's what you desire is to give it away. And Rahab desired God's protection over her mother and family. Her decision point was at the wall. My heart has a decision to make on the wall. And some of you will flee from that wall into the gates because you are terrified of getting off that wall. She let her faith be free when she let them down that wall by the rope. Are you wanting to release what God has put inside of you? You can't release it if you don't let it out. Do you feel stuck on the wall? You need a wall drop. It should be a song. You need to drop it off the wall. You need to get off the wall. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to close, and I'm going to give you some more about Rahab and what happened to her. Rahab goes on to marry into the tribe of Judah, into the Israelites. She becomes an Israelite and eventually gets to the mountain. But had she never made the decision to let those messengers go off the wall, things would have been totally different. You guys with me? It was that one decision that may have looked insignificant. It may have even looked deceitful, but God had a plan in what she was to do, and she executed the plan, and it changed the course of her life. They all went back to the mountain where they came from. Are you anxious waiting to make a decision that could determine your future. You may be sitting on the fence of a decision right now that could determine your future. And you know what it is, and God knows what it is. And no one else may understand, but that decision matters. It may be time to get off the wall. Drop your troubles. My heart has a decision on the wall. Get rid of that baggage. It's hard to scale the wall with all that baggage. You got to throw the baggage. Quit holding on to the, you know when you go to the airport and you got the, you go with the 50 pound thing and they want to charge you the 25 bucks because your bag is too heavy and then it's always the wife's fault. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's, you can't, you can't be mobile with the baggage. You can't be mobile, you can't be mobile to avoid people driving through an intersection when you got a 24-foot trail on the back. You're, you're held down by the baggage. You with me? You, you're not agile. You can't get down that wall without getting rid of that baggage. Some of your baggage is you keep thinking about what they did from 10 years ago, and they forgot about it, but you won't. Let it go. Throw it away. Some of you have heartache because you won't let it go. Throw it away. God knows your pain. God wants to reconcile your pain. God loves them. God loves you. Make peace with them. Make peace with the Lord and move on because God has something better in that mountain. Jesus is the mountain. The Lord is the mountain. It's an illustration, but you want to go. My rock, my, 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 he's the cornerstone. He is Jesus. He is the rock. If you're not willing to get off that wall, you're going to stay bound. God has more for you than those past memories you won't let go of that you think about every night when you go to sleep. That's me. 
Get them out of your head. That's what the enemy wants. Leave them. Leave them on the wall and go free yourself to the mountain in Jesus' name. Let's bow our head and pray. Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to come to you and worship you and receive your word, which is life-bearing, and we expect fruit to come and to be, be planted in others as we keep spreading your word, Lord, because we're going to saturate and get rid of all that bad seed in this garden in our hearts, and we're going to grow the kingdom of God and change the face of this community, and we're going to change the face of this world. And when people say, oh, you better quit, it's going to be hard, we say we're not afraid of hard because we want what's best, and we know what's best is going to be hard, but we're willing to fight through it because we got faith because you are our leader and no one else. We ask in Jesus' name, keep your hand on us. Help us watch everywhere we go because the enemy seeks to destroy that which glorifying your name. And we know and we have seen and we have heard and now we know what is to come. And we got our eyes open, baby. Touch us, keep your hand on us, and we look forward to glorifying you all week, all the days of our lives. And if everybody could say in Jesus' name, amen.